This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillahi khaliqil wujudi min al-adam waja'ilil nuri min al-zulam wa sabri min al-alam فملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم ذي الشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم فالحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا الشمس كورت وإذا النجوم كدرت وإذا الجبال سيرت وإذا العشار عطلت وإذا الوحوش حشرت وإذا البحار سجرت وإذا, وإذا النفوس زوجت وإذا الموؤودة سئلت بأي ذنب قتلت رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين Today's khutbah is rather difficult and I pray especially to Allah Azza wa Jal today that I have clarity of speech and thought and I'm able to communicate some of these sensitive lessons to you in a way that you take the best of them and I take the best of them and apply them in our lives. Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Takweer, the 81st surah of the Qur'an, describes a very remarkable scene of Judgment Day and it's one cataclysm after the other, one major event after the other that is almost impossible for us to imagine. He starts by saying the day when, or imagine a time when the sun is going to get wrapped up, folded up, and when the stars are going to lose all of their light, and mountains are going to start sailing. So mountains that we see as fixtures are going to start moving about. عِشَارَ are very expensive camels. And when camels are going to be left unchecked, the idea of عِشَار in that culture the Ishar, that, that kind of camel was the equivalent of a Mercedes or a BMW. That was like a very expensive ride. And it was also your investment because it's going to give birth to other you know, camels. And Ishar is also used for pregnant camels. 
because now you have to take extra care of them because they're about to double your investment. And so they used to protect them extra, used, they used to feed them the best food. These were the most cared for kinds of camels. Okay, so this is like a very sensitive investment. Um, and Allah says on Judgment Day, those very sensitive investments that people nowadays, people keep them in safety deposit boxes, or people keep them in secure accounts, or people keep them behind safes, places that are you know, very safe. He says they'll be left open unchecked. Imagine the most expensive car, keys are inside, ignition's running, doors open, nobody cares. That's the idea of al-isharu uttilat. So a day on which everything that was valued in the world has no value. People don't care. What's being left behind? وَإِذَا الْعِشَارُ عُطِّلَتْ وَإِذَا الْوُحُوشُ حُشِرَتْ And wild animals that usually are at each other's throats. An alligator, a lion, a tiger, you know, a python, a cobra. These kinds of animals are wuhush. They show no mercy. When they're hungry or when they're scared, they attack to kill. They ruthlessly kill. They, they rip through their, their victim. And he says those kinds of animals are going to be herded together like sheep get herded together. They're all scared of something even more. So they're not even attacking each other, they're just bunched together. This is the, the you know, unimaginable shock of Judgment Day where everything is defying its nature. Mountains are supposed to stay in their place, they're not staying in their place. The sun is supposed to be the fixed lamp for us as long as human history has been there and it's getting folded up. The stars are losing their light. You know, every, everything that we know to be normal has reversed. And so these mountains, or, or these wild animals are, are herded together. And then he says, وَإِذَا النُّفُوسُ زُوِّجَتْ And when people are paired together. And this is also unusual. Because there could be someone who is a Fir'aun from thousands of years ago, and there's someone who's acting like Fir'aun in 2019, and someone else who acted like Fir'aun in the 1700s, and they're all bunched together. They're all, all the people who acted the same way are bunched together. All the people of shirk are together. All the people of pride are together. All the people of slander are together. All the people of lying are together. All the people of good deeds are together. You know, all the people that sought forgiveness and Allah forgive them are together. They're bunched by how they are ranked on Judgment Day. In this world, we get bunched by who's your family. You get bunched by what's your neighborhood. You get bunched by what's your country. Which passport do you have? You get bunched by economic class. You get bunched by, oh, we all work in the same place. These are the ways we group people together today. That's not how we will be grouped on Judgment Day. People have a completely different kind of category. Completely different kind of arrangement. It's a reorganization of humanity that didn't exist before then. Right now we don't know. There could be someone, we don't even speak their language. We don't belong from their culture. We may not even belong from their century. But because they did what Allah likes, and you did what Allah likes, you're standing together. Because you've been paired together. It's a rearrangement of, na of nature, as we know it now. And then, as a climax to all of this, which is actually the subject of my khutbah, this is the opening scene of Judgment Day. When you know, the judgment is about to start taking place, and the field for Judgment Day is being prepared. Which is why... Uh, it, you know, I even I skipped something. When the oceans are going to boil over. Think about this. The mountains are high and the oceans, you know, the bottom of the ocean is very low. Right? And what Allah is doing is, He's making the mountains move out of place so it gets flattened. And the oceans are boiling over so the low of the ocean is coming up. And the entire earth is becoming one open field for humanity to gather for this massive judgment to take place. And people are being grouped now because the field has been prepared starting from Arafah and stretching across the earth. And this field for humanity has been prepared. Everybody's grouped together. And you would imagine, 
what, what will Allah describe next? You would imagine Allah will describe, now our deeds are going to be shown. When the scrolls of our deeds are going to lay out. You know, your entire life, my entire life is like a transcript in rolls. And it gets unfolded, like a carpet unfolding in front of you. That's what's going to happen on Judgment Day. But the incredible thing in the surah is before he lays out all of our deeds for our entire life, he mentions something unexpected in the middle of all of this, which is actually the subject of my khutbah. In the middle of all of this, he says, وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ When the little girl who was buried alive is going to be questioned, what crime was she killed for? The little girl who was buried alive is going to be asked, what did you deserve to get killed? Why were you killed? What in the world is this? And this is mentioned after the mountains sail away, after the oceans are boiling over, after all of that stuff. And right after all of this, and the wild animals are herded together, and human beings are paired by their deeds. And one of the first scenes after that is a baby girl is being questioned, why was she killed? You need to understand some background to this. You know, the ancient Arabs, they were pretty big on lineage. And the way their name carries forward is by their sons. So they were very proud to have sons. But when they had a daughter, it was embarrassing for them. If a girl was born in the family, there were a couple of things that were said about it. One thing was said about it, the guy wasn't man enough to have a son. That's why he had a daughter. So there's something missing in his manhood. That's why he couldn't bear, his wife couldn't bear birth to, give birth to a daughter. So it was embarrassing for him that I wasn't man enough. But more importantly, how is she going to carry my name? She's going to marry somebody else's family. She's going to give them children. I just gave, I just lost, I have to feed her, I have to provide for her, I have to take care of her, and she doesn't add anything to my resource. She's just an expense. She's a liability only and not an asset. She's an asset to some other family. She's going to give them children. She's going to give them value. The only, they'd prefer she camels. Remember the she camels? Female camels are better because at least they give me more investment. They increase to my wealth. But these daughters, they're just an expense. They're just an embarrassment. And I can't even use them and say, look, what kind of security I have. Nobody messes with me. I have 10 sons. Nobody can dare touch me. I have this much. Because sons were also power. Sons also increased your, your numbers. Your tribe looks stronger. Women are just a weakness. They're a liability. You have to protect them. We have to pay for them. And then they go on to somebody else. So they thought of women like that. They thought of their daughters like that. And some of them, the more merciful among them, you know what they used to do? The more merciful among them used to say, well, you know what, it is embarrassing, but what can I do? So they would take the wife who gave birth to the daughter and the daughter, and they would make a separate tent for them and never speak to them again. You live there, I'll leave food outside, don't ever talk to me again. Neither the daughter nor the mother. That was the, that was the merciful arrangement. And the other arrangement was they would take the baby girl and you know, either immediately or within a couple of years, pick, take the baby girl out of the desert somewhere and bury her alive. Just literally bury her dead. I don't even want to think about it. This is the sickness that the Arab mind before Islam used to have in that desert. And Allah mentions this crime on Judgment Day. Why? Because Allah is describing something. There are people in the world who don't have a voice. There are people who, who can't speak for themselves. They can't defend themselves because they are under other people's care. And the first group of those kinds of people are children. Children cannot speak for themselves. 
They cannot clothe themselves. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot give themselves a place to sleep. They cannot protect themselves. They are at the mercy of their parents and their guardians and their caretakers. Whether it's their biological parents, whether it's adopting parents, or step-parents, or grandparents, or uncles, or older brothers who are raising them, or older sisters, they have to have some guardian taking care of them. And in this society, there were certain categories of children that were just considered a burden, and people could do whatever you want with them, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? This ayah isn't just about little girls that were buried alive. This ayah is about children throughout the ages that get abused, that get mistreated, that get humiliated and degraded. Allah says, what crime was she killed for? You can kill someone's body. You can physically choke someone, bury someone, suffocate someone, stab someone. You can do all of that, but there's many kinds of killing. You know, when little kids are hit, when they're beat, when they're cursed, when they hear, you know, it, it rips the heart out of my body sometimes. You know, a, a lot of times I go around and I do events and, um, in different parts of the world, and a lot of times children come up to me and talk to me. And they tell me things. They just want to have a conversation. And they say a few things. And I'm no therapist or counselor. But sometimes they say things that literally I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. When a, when a little girl comes up to me and tells me, Yeah, my mom and dad, they yell at each other all the time. I get really scared. And you know, especially sometimes my dad is really mad. And my mom gets really loud. So I get an extra blanket and I hide under my blanket. But it's okay, I'm used to it now. I still get scared, but just a little bit. What are you doing to this child? You know, for a child, the most important thing, the, the, the dua a child makes, Allah gives us the dua of, of children, that when you get older, you make dua for your parents. Everybody knows that. My master, show both my mother and father mercy, show them love and care, just the same way they made sure I grew up safe and sound. Just the same way they nurtured me. Is this nurturing? Is this how you nurture a child? That they are terrified to go to sleep in their own home? And there are other kids who physically get hit, physically get attacked, beat. Rasulullah one time saw a donkey with a mark of a slap on its face. And it upset him. And he actually made, he spoke against the person. That Allah's curse can be on a person who does this to an animal. To an animal. And in some of our Muslim households, it's completely okay to smack a child across the face. To push a kid, to slap a kid, to punch a kid. To hit them against the wall, to kick them. And it, is this, it hurts for me to say this, but this is a reality. It's a disgusting reality. And these children, you think, oh, you know, and you know what, they, what happens as they grow older? As they grow older, they say, well, it's okay, everybody got that. It's normal. It's normal. And some of you went through it when you were little. And it was like, ah, oh, everybody got a little bit. We used to, you know, in places where I come, in the country I come from, Pakistan, what we did, if we got in trouble at school, the teacher hit you a real good one. Give you, knocks your sinuses into place. But if your parents find out that you got hit by the teacher, they hit you again. <laughs> so, and later on we say, ah, you know, I needed it, that was bad. You know, parents tell themselves, it's okay, that's what everybody got. But here's the problem. If I asked you, you were five, six at the time, when that happened to you? And you say, it's okay, everybody used to get it. And I ask you, you'd be okay if somebody did that to your child? You'd be perfectly okay if your child is that age and that happened to you? No, I'll never let my child get hit like that. Wow, it was okay for you, huh? It wasn't Because we, we made abuse okay. 
And for some people, you know, two things happen when people get abused. Either they grow up and they do everything they can to make sure nobody else gets abused like they were. Or they repeat the behavior that they experienced. They become exactly what they experienced. These children are going to be asked on judgment day, you didn't deserve this. Why did this happen to you? Why was this done to you? A baby is being asked. A little girl that was buried alive is being asked. And being, and I'm not just talking about physical abuse. I wanted to start with physical abuse. But there's many other kinds of abuse. You can kill someone with words. You can make someone feel worthless. You see, to the Arabs, this girl was worthless. So before they physically buried her, they probably talked a lot about her. What is, what is she going to bring to our family? Oh my God, I have to pay this bill. When you're, when you're arguing with your spouse about the bills, about school, about their clothes, about winter coats or whatever else, and they can hear you in the other room. How worthless do they feel? They feel like I'm a burden. I wish I didn't exist. They're always fighting because of me. And they have no value for themselves. These sons and daughters, and especially daughters, that don't have value for themselves. You're breaking them and killing them and not letting them have a real life. They never have a chance. They never even have a chance. And there are many other ways to bury children alive. I just want to list a few of them so you and I can think about what it means to raise kids. You know, abuse of children of different kinds, not just physical, but inappropriate contact. This is a reality in many parts of the world and unfortunately a reality in the Muslim world. I know the khutbah is not a... The, you know, the, there are different ages here, but difficult things sometimes have to be talked about. And I, as bad as I feel, I feel that it's a necessity. These things happen because of uncles and cousins, and this happens in families. And these little kids, who this happens to, they want to tell someone, this happened, this shouldn't have happened, I shouldn't have been alone, I shouldn't have been left unsupervised. Why was I left here? Why was I left overnight? Why did you allow me to go to this sleepover? A seven-year-old can't make that decision. A nine-year-old can't make that decision. And when they go through something terrible like that, they are thinking a million, they're told, don't tell anyone. And if they, and some kids have the courage to even tell their parents. Tell someone. And you know what's even more sickening? When they tell someone, instead of actually fixing the problem, those parents say, don't tell anyone. Must have been your fault. And they bury those children alive. They teach those children it's okay to be abused. They teach those children that they have no rights that their voices mean nothing, that it must be their fault. So their entire life they're going to get abused, and their abusers will never get blamed, and they'll just take it on themselves. And their entire life they're going to get even worse and worse and worse abuse, and actually, at the end of the day, they'll believe, if my own parents, they didn't hear what I had to say, they didn't hear my cries, they didn't hear my voice, in fact, they laughed at me, they made fun of me, they got angry at me, then who am I going to tell? Nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. I asked somebody who went through such an experience, what did you feel afterwards? And you know what so many of them told me? One of them told me, I used to have a conversation with Allah. Ya Allah, why do you hate me so much? Why do you let this happen to me? Why, why did that happen to me? Why does my family not care about me? Why am I in a place where I'm not loved or respected? You know, this is, this is a, chi- a child having a conversation with Allah like that. Can you imagine? Another person said, I, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be alive. I used to ask God, just take me because I don't belong here. I don't want to be alive. Because why, what, you know, I'm a burden to everybody. And I just, I just keep on suffering. There's people that were, children that were buried alive physically, and there are kids that are buried alive every single day of their life. They're buried alive every single day of their life. And Allah will question them on judgment day because they didn't deserve it.
And Allah will ask them, who did this to you? Who did this to you? Who allowed this to happen? And there are two kinds of abusers. There's the abuser who does the abuse, who does the hitting, who does the insulting, who does the degrading, who does the all, all, all manner of inappropriateness. There's that kind of abuser. And then there's the silent parties all around. The people who watch it happen and they're quiet. They, they, they watch the evil happen and they're quiet. I remind you of a famous and terrifying hadith of the Prophet it's a hadith Qudsi in which Allah Azza wa commanded the angels to destroy a town. He commanded the angels, this town is full of sinners, destroy them. And the angels come back to Allah, Ya Allah, you have someone in that town who worships you. Day and night. There's not a moment they're not doing dhikr of you. You still want to destroy this town? Ya, ya Rab, we don't understand. Allah Azza wa tells them, start with him. Destroy him first, then the rest. He is the biggest of all the criminals. Why? Because he saw evil happening all around him and he was too busy just worshipping me and not addressing any of the evil that's happening. When there's evil happening in your family, when there's evil happening in front of your eyes, it doesn't matter who does it. It doesn't matter if your brother's doing evil, your cousin's doing evil, your father's doing evil, your mother's doing evil, your spouse is doing evil. It doesn't matter who's doing the evil. If you remain silent, then Allah in this hadith is teaching us that he'll start with you. You knew the truth. You knew to stand up for justice. So she, when she's asked, what crime was she killed for? Why did nobody stand up for this child? How was that even possible? It's not just even the crime of one person taking a child and taking them to get buried. Where were the other 10,000 people in the village who said, well, bury you if you touch this child? Nobody gets to touch this child. Nobody allowed, you know, sees that happen. This is the kind of defense we're supposed to have for our children. This is how we're supposed to stand up for our kids. And you know, these things have a lasting impact on our kids' lives. If they, if they experience these kinds of things, and we remain silent to them, again, there's physical abuse, there's you know, other kinds of abuse, other kinds of physical abuse, and there's also psychological and verbal abuse. And it gets so bad, eventually kids learn that they have no voice. And these daughters of ours grow up in many Muslim cultures who have worse practices than before the times of Islam. You know, there are some, some Muslim cultures today, before Islam they used to be Hindu or Buddhist. Before Islam there used to be some other religion. And even after Islam, some of the jahiliyyah from before Islam is still there. Before Islam, women had no honor. And after Islam, women still have no honor. You will tell your daughter, you are going to marry this per person. I don't like him. Don't be ungrateful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't be ungrateful. Are you serious? Allah azza wa jal ever says to someone that they, can, they have no right to refuse a proposal? And they're being made to feel religiously guilty that they turned down a proposal? They're being made to say, Allah sent this ni'mah your way, you're kicking it away? You have no right to say that. You have no right to say that to a daughter. A daughter can choose who she wants to marry, and she can choose who to refuse. Your job is to approve it. Your job is to say, this is okay, this is not okay. The example of Musa salam's marriage is in the Qur'an, it's clear. It's very clear. Allah gave our daughters that right to refuse, without being made to feel guilty. Without being told, you know, if you turn this down, who's gonna marry you? Have you seen yourself? You're past the expiration date. Get married already. When you do this to your daughters, you're burying them alive. You're, you're suffocating them. This is not okay to do. And you know what? The crazy times we live in, we don't even just bury our daughters alive. We bury our sons alive too. We humiliate them too. We degrade them too. 
We, we don't let them live their own lives. Allah Azza wa Jal has given us this profound deen. You know, one of the things that baffled me about Qur'an, when you think of a yatim, a yatim is someone, an orphan is someone who either the mother or usually the father isn't there, the provider, the caretaker isn't there. When you think of a caretaker, what do you think of? Financially, they're taking care of someone. You know, they're providing housing, they're providing education, they're protecting them, all of these things. How many people in the world, how many children in the world have both parents or at least one parent physically alive, but they're still yatim? They're still yatim. They have no protection, they have no dignity. They have no respect. And why am I mentioning dignity? What does Allah say? Kalla, balla. He doesn't say, tut'imuna al-yateem. He says, kalla, balla, tukrimuna al-yateem. No, you people don't honor the orphan. Honor the orphan. What does that teach us? That Allah Azza wa wants us to honor children. Especially children who have a lack of protection. Especially those children. And we're living in the craziest times. Forget about honoring orphans. We're not even honoring our own children. We're not even listening to them. Think of the example of Yusuf salam, who comes to his dad and he tells him a dream. And when he tells him a dream, just a dream, the father sits him down and gives him so many compliments and so much validation. When was the last time you told your son or your daughter, I'm proud of you? I'm sorry for the way I was harsh to you. All our kids know is we criticize them. They didn't eat right, they don't sit right, they don't stand right, they don't talk right, they don't this right, they don't that. We, just constant criticism. We don't care about their comfort or their dignity. You know, even subtle things, I, I'm not angry about this, I'm just sad about it. When I go to different events, people want to come and they bring their children and they want to take a picture next to me. It's cute, I don't mind. I love meeting with children. But sometimes you bring me a three-year-old girl, a four-year-old girl, a five-year-old boy who's scared of me. They're like, oh my God, this guy came out of the iPad. He's real. You know? <laughs> so they get terrified. And they're holding on to their mom or their dad. And the dad is pulling them off of their own body saying, Brother Numan, this one loves you. They really want to take a picture with you. And this kid is holding on to his dad for life. Please don't do this to me. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not comfortable. No, no, he's really happy. Just hold him. You know what that teaches your children? We don't realize. We just think, oh, there's an opportunity to take a picture. And then I say, just one second. You're going to take a picture. You're going to be happy about it. <laughs> what does that teach these kids? These kids are taught, my fear, my reservation, my discomfort means nothing. That means nothing. This picture is more important than my, my feelings. That's more important. And you're also teaching them, it's okay for some stranger to hold. I'm a stranger to them. It's okay for some stranger to hold you. And that's not an okay thing to teach. That's not an okay behavior to accept. This is why honoring children, not allowing them to be buried alive is so important. To dignify them is so important. To engage them in real conversation is so important. Our religion does teach us the value and the importance of parents. But when parents don't become people of tarbiyah, when they don't do the proper tarbiyah, when they don't validate their children, when they don't teach their children you know, how to feel their, make their children feel loved, valued, heard, even respected. But some parents, they want to impose their authority and expect respect back. The only thing you gave them was fear. You give them fear and you want back respect. Guess what's going to happen? Eventually they won't be scared anymore. And when they're not scared anymore, you're not going to get an ounce of respect. You're not going to get anything. As a matter of fact, what they will have is hatred towards you. 
They'll have hatred towards you because all you gave them was fear. If Allah, ask yourself this question again. If Allah is telling us we have to honor the orphan, how much more do we have to honor our own kids? You know, The people of the womb are more priority to Allah. The, the, the ties of blood are a bigger priority than anything else. This is something we really seriously have to think about. You know, don't yell at your children in front of other people. Don't, don't even yell at your children in front of other children. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't be yelling at your children anyway. You, you keep yelling at your kids, they're not gonna... The, that just means, oh man, the radio's on again. Oh, here he goes again. They're gonna hear it eventually, they're not gonna hear nothing. All you're gonna do is yell. That's all you're gonna do, you know. Who, which parent wants to hear? You, you could yell at them your whole, you know, in their early years when they turn 20, 21, 22, you yell at them and they say, you're not the boss of me. Who wants to hear that? Put your voice down. I'm not a child anymore. Who's looking forward to hearing that? None of us. Did our messenger, raise his voice? Did the Quran not say when you raise your voice, you sound like a donkey? The Quran didn't say that? How is it okay for us to raise our voice at home and sound like a donkey according to Quran? According to the Quran. And if you sound like one, you'll end up getting treated like one. So we have to learn a different approach. We have to learn a dignified approach to discipline. You know what our messenger used to do, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he was really upset? When he was really upset, he used to be silent. When he's really upset, he used to be silent. And the, pe- the family would know something is wrong. Just from his silence. Just from his silence. Have we tried that approach? And why are we upset all the time anyway? When a child misbehaves, or a child does something wrong, it's an opportunity to teach them something good. Not just to yell and scream. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to build. And then we say, well, we want them to be good Muslims. How are they going to ever become good Muslims if you're not even letting them feel like dignified human beings? Let them feel like human beings first. Then the beauty of Islam is on top of that. That's on top of that. Don't yell at them in front of others. Don't discipline them. It's embarrassing. I was just reading something. I'll be sharing the story of Uhud on Sunday. One more minute and I'll be done. Just wanted to remind yourselves of something. At Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ said, we should defend Medina from inside the city. And some of the companions, young sahaba who did not fight in Badr, they said, Ya Rasulullah, no, let's go fight the enemy on the battlefield. We want to taste shahada. We wanna, we not, we're not afraid of the enemy. We don't have to stay inside the city. We'll go out in front of the enemy and fight them. And we missed out on the chance of Badr. So give us that opportunity at Uhud. They gave this fiery speech. The Prophet ﷺ acknowledged their emotions. These were the young guys in the army. He acknowledged their emotions. He goes inside, he puts his armor on. The Prophet ﷺ puts his armor on. And when the Prophet ﷺ went inside, the older companions yelled at the younger ones. And said, what are you doing? If Rasulullah said, we should fight from inside, you should have just listened. Why did you say this? And there are people that have fought battles before you. We want to fight in the path of Allah too. We're not afraid to, but it's a bad idea. Why did you give this bad suggestion? And the young guys felt guilty, like they said that. So they changed their mind. And they sent Hamza radiallahu anhu, a senior, the uncle of the Prophet to go inside and say they've changed their mind. But that's, I'll tell you that story on Sunday, but tell you for now, the Sahaba that were older, they could have corrected those young Sahaba immediately in front of the Prophet As soon as they opened their mouth, they would have said, child, you don't know anything. You haven't been on no battle. You don't know it. You just watch yourself. There are, there are elders here. The, the adults are talking. Know your place. 
They didn't do any such thing. They allowed the Prophet ﷺ to leave and then they spoke to them. Why? Because if they got corrected in front of the Prophet ﷺ, they would have felt humiliated and worthless. And the most senior of the Sahaba understand that. You don't make anyone feel worthless. Even when you disagree with them. Even when they do something wrong. Even then, you don't put them in their place. You don't humiliate them and embarrass them. This is the kind of courtesy that was even shown to, to young men who acted immaturely. When children act immaturely, it's expected because they're kids. So you don't have to come down on them so hard. That is not going to help them become better, more mature, refined adults. So I pray that this, these words that Allah has given us of the kids who don't have a voice for themselves, who may be suffering physical or worse abuse, or they may be suffering emotional abuse. Don't, don't, you and I should never think that they're never going to have a voice. It might even seem that on Judgment Day, Allah will start with children that were victims before even the scrolls are laid out. Afterwards, is before that. May Allah Azza wa Jal make us all responsible parents and really check ourselves and lower our voices inside our homes and say things that are dignified to our family members. Our Messenger says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the best of you are the ones that are the best to their families. The best to their family. So if you speak to outside people with respect and you have a smile on your face and you have courtesy and you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. But when you go home, your face turns into a military commander. And you look at people like, hey, Assalamu alaikum. Where's dinner? Where's lunch? What happened to you? And the Rasul says, the best of your face, the best of your voice, the best of your manners should be to your families. Those are the best of you. And that means if the worst, the worst of us are the ones whose worst behavior is with their families, doesn't it? It's the opposite is also true. You know, sharrukum, sharrukum li ahli. That's also true then. If the best of you are the best to your families, then the worst of all people are the ones that are the worst to their families. Like everybody else they treat nicely, their family they treat poorly. Don't become like those people who are so nice when guests come over. And as soon as they leave, you go back to Fir'aun mode. Don't become like those people. That's a warning from Rasulullah Everything positive has a negative side and everything negative has a positive side. May Allah allow us to really take this advice into our hearts and check ourselves and become better parents, better guardians, better older siblings, better uncles, better grandparents. And may Allah not make us testify against one another on Judgment Day. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا